And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our featured guest is an individual who I really hope to meet in the future. I just feel a uh, good rapport, chemistry, and He's another individual that's going to be speaking at this event called Anarchopolco. And it is a incredible freedom conference taking place February 6th through 10th in Mexico. Dr. Ron Paul is going to be there. A lot of other freedom advocates are going to be there. And there's one thing I'm, I'm learning, and I, this is why I love doing this show and I love communicating with you, is because once you start, I think it's about finding your tribe. It's about finding the, the, the group of people that you're on the same frequency uh, with and I feel that you and I are on the same frequency, and I, and I love it because the rest of the world is on a different frequency. A lot of people are on some kind of frequency that I want nothing to do with, but I'm glad that we can connect and that we can be together. And our featured guest is going to talk about self-sufficiency and some of the things that you can do to get yourself farther away from the control grid. And I've, he's going to talk to, about life in Mexico as well. Some people are relocating out of the U.S. Some people are moving to uh, countries that have a more refined respect for freedom. And I think we're going to see that happening. Martin Armstrong, who came on our show recently, was talking about uh, migration and how, at least in the U.S., certain people are gravitating towards certain states that represent their values. And I think we're going to see that happen on a worldwide basis. But let us begin tonight's show. It is a pleasure to welcome to the Outer Limits of the Truth. Chad Swartz. He is an off-grid autonomy consultant. You learn more about him by going to his website at triviumautonomy.com. Chad, welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me on, Ryan. It's a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. All right. So the first question people will have is what is an off-grid autonomy consultant? Okay. So um I run a workshop. That's what I'm mostly doing right now is I help people who don't know anything at all about off-grid and decentralization because many people do not trust the powers that be with their water, energy security, even food and stuff like that. So um, a lot of people who don't know anything about that solar and off-grid water, I can help them get started in very basic ways with just advice and what to what you need to buy when you get a Home Depot or order the stuff from Amazon, how to connect the um, the wire pumps to the water, um, to, to the water supply. So um, basically what I do is I help people begin to take the first steps of living a more decentralized and self-reliant life in regards to your basic needs, because you need water, energy, and food, and stable temperature. And that's what I help people begin to do. Okay, so... What are some of the benefits of living off the grid? Because some people say, okay, well, I'd love to do it. I, I particularly, I'll say right off the bat, I would have a harder time 
not having hot water at the tip of my fingers. I'd probably be a little hard about that. But we do have a filter that, you know, filters out the fluoride and, and the tumors and all the other things that they put in the water supply. So we, we definitely went on that. But some of these other things that um, you're discussing, like for the most part, what are some of the biggest benefits of living off grid, living the way uh, we presented? Um, many, many benefits for number one, I would say the water. I think people who trust municipal water supplies need to have their head examined. I agree. Uh, and the truth is, um, off grid doesn't quite mean what people think it means. It's not like going off into the woods and disappearing. The stuff that I teach people how to do is stuff you can just begin, like you can still stay in your house and hooked up to the normal grid, but you can begin to catch some of your own rainwater and you can begin to do your own energy. So it's a, it's a slow, long process and you don't really need to sacrifice much comfort if you do it slowly and correctly over time. Um, and why would people want to, you know, in the United States, people live a very comfortable life. So, but you can look at a place like Ukraine. Um, they they relied on the, on the power grid for their fuel, for their water, for their energy. And now they're freezing because their power grid was just shut off, either attacked or shut off. And all those millions of people who are having cold winters and are barely surviving because the grid is still run by politicians, by these sociopaths. And, you know, on a normal day, everything's fine. On a good day, we're just getting ripped off with our utility bills and we can live with that. But on a bad day, maybe there's some sort of instability and these crazy people we're relying on don't deliver what we need. So it's good to have that security of your basic, your basic needs covered independently of any state-run system. Excellent answer. Thank you for, for sharing that because I agree that you don't want to be too relied upon. You mentioned the U.S. comfort, and I remember this quote. I think it's from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he's, I've always thought about this. He says, the lust for comfort murders the passions of the soul. And when I look in the U.S., I see just endless people doing whatever they can to avoid any kind of discomfort and they'll do whatever it takes just to to stay comfortable. I mean, it, it, it's it, sad. It's, with, yeah, it's disgusting and it's dehumanizing yeah. and sad. Like, how do you, yeah. you know, just like growing up, I always just respected like manly men who like took adventures and did these hardships to do something cooler. Like we respected that. And now just the average person today, like anything that they could like, might, they might lose money or have to do something like, oh, I'm not doing that. Um, it's it's very disheartening to see what Americans have devolved into. Well, I want to take a little side quest before we come back to the energy grid. And knowing that, what you just said about how many people are just lusting for that comfort, what do you think are some of the best opportunities to make money off that in the future? Because, you know, if you're looking at a market and you wanted to say, okay, what is the best way to be financially stable to make money? How do you, what are some of the, do you think some of the best ways to, to generate revenue, knowing that at least in the US, you have a society of people that will do whatever it takes to keep their comfort levels at a, at a high level. Good, good question. Um, at, the, at the moment, I've, uh, I'm not really making money because I'm putting so much energy and resources into developing my work, which is like any business, you have to do that. But the, um, the way that I think you can make it profitable and make it easy for people, from a marketing perspective, it's just like 
this type of stuff is for everybody. Like every human being needs water and energy and stable temperature. Like it's not debatable. This is not some niche crowd of people. Like if you're a human being, you need to have your water security. And most people on a subconscious level, even if they're like normies, like and not preppers or anything, there's something in their subconscious mind, you know, they, 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 they know that they should know more about this stuff. And me, um, I wasn't really raised as like a handyman or a technical person. I, I've had to push myself to learn this stuff because it's my passion. So I sympathize with the people who can't do this type of stuff. They look at like solar panels and pipes and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, I don't understand that. Um, one, because I was a teacher, I've taught English for many years. I know how to teach complicated stuff in an easy way. I, I use the trivia method. I lay everything out and like, this is this one. This is this tool. This is this pipe. This is this wire. I explain it to them like you're teaching the alphabet to a child. And I say, this is the Amazon link where you can order this. I make it very easy that they can understand each individual part. And I do, I teach just enough so that they can collect the rainwater, pump it, filter it and use it. I keep the, the whole path of the process as simple as possible. Like you don't have to become an expert electrician or an expert plumber, as long as you can connect the pipe to the pump and what, what have you, then you're in business. So I try to keep the process as simple as possible for the lazy minded people so that they're not too overwhelmed or overworked when I'm teaching them. And, and the cost is that, you know, the cost of solar panels is falling every year. So the stuff is becoming more and more accessible little by little over time. So I'm, I'm trying to make it the process as simple as possible to learn and to buy. I try to say, don't spend, don't go out and spend like 30 grand on off-grid material. You can get started with like for a thousand dollars with some reverse osmosis and basic solar. So, Hey, because it seems like if you can do and be prepared and have some self-sufficiently, I, I wonder if that would equate to having a side gig because you're saving a bunch of money, not spending so much on, on your monthly utilities and things like that. Let's say, for example, somebody's not really ready to make the full commitment and say, look, you know, we're, I'm still on the grid, but I want to start to wean myself off just like the same way, you know, when you quit drinking you can't just stop cold turkey it's kind of hard <laughs> i can't stop smoking cigarettes i used to smoke but, i used to be a big heavy chain smoker so me too how did you stop by the way was it, it was we, alan carr's book you know alan carr no oh oh my god it's, it's without a doubt it's the best way to quit the book is called the easy way and it's all okay. it breaks down the psychology of smoking he says like don't bother with the patches or the vaping or any of that crap um, the book really breaks down the psychology and helps you understand that it's really nothing. It's a, it's an easy process to quit. Easy process to psychology. So, um, I could have used that book a long time ago. My body, my body quit cigarettes. My body just said no longer. And it's it's kind of like how most of my body works with certain things and certain activities. It, it it'll just override. So but, did you uh, pull turkey? Uh, yeah, it just, it, my body just, it just stopped. It just, it, my body just one day just stopped accepting nicotine it, and that the smell got repulsive and it was actually, it was, it happened a short time after I took ayahuasca. If you've ever done uh, the, the, vibe, I, you know, the I, I have not a lot of people at Anacapulco are into that. Um, mm -hmm. I might do it someday. I just have not had the opportunity to do it yet. It, it is a beautiful, profound experience. It could change your life forever. And it did for me. It, might, it fundamentally shifted my body, how it works. And I, a lot of other things changed. And I remember after I did it, I think it was second or third time, my body no longer accepted um, 
accepted <laughs> cigarettes. And I've told people listening to the show before that that's how actually I became a vegetarian and would later become vegan because cool. of ayahuasca, because of the sensitivity to it. But getting back to um, ways that you can kind of wean yourself off the grid and kind of, you know, become more self-sufficient. What are like uh, like two steps you can take, let's say today, to begin to be off the grid? Do you have to go out and buy couple of solar panels should you buy a solar paneled uh solar panel solar um, powered generator uh, let me grab one thing one here and i'll show you sure all right um this is called a jackery to this is called a jackery and it connects to a solar panel a okay. 60 watt panel so um, this is about $250 and you have your USB charging points, a cigarette letter port, and you just, it's very, very easy. You do not need to have any technical expertise. It's like plugging something into the wall. You get a little portable panel that folds up like a suitcase. So the Jackery 240, I don't get paid by them yet. So I'm not, <laughs> uh, maybe someday I want to do sponsorships, but um, this, this was the first solar thing that I had. It's called the, the Jackery. This is the 240 model. This is the most inexpensive one. So we're like 250. So for like $350, $400, you can begin to get enough energy to, I run my reverse osmosis system. I charge up my computer and you can save, you know, you put the panel out during the high noon and it charges this up. You just plug it right in and it charges up and and it shows you on the screen, it shows you like how much energy you're collecting from the sun. It shows you the wattage going in from the solar mm -hmm. and the wattage going out as you're using it. So I did not understand wattage, you know, a while ago. And then when I'm like, oh, okay, this is how much I'm getting from the sun. This is how much I'm using. Um, you can, it's very user friendly and you can learn a lot from it. So the first step to do, I would say, get a Jackery and just play around with that. And then you can slowly okay. build up. So you know, so you want to like, some of that will start to working on. And at this point, if you're going to, again, try to make the transition, should you be putting solar panels on your house? Should you be setting up things around your house to collect rainwater? Like what would be other things you could start doing immediately to begin to wean off uh, the boob of the state? Yes. Um, I actually, I can't really show you now, but uh on my workshop or in my workshop, um, I teach people how to build a very simplistic rainwater catcher just with like, you know, take some PVC pipes or you can use carpentry, woodworking, just make a very small rainwater catcher. And then you just become familiar with the process of like um, the right roofing material. You have to use a certain, you have to use the galvanized metal and not tar and shingles because you want to, don't you want the chemicals. So you can build a very small rainwater catcher. If you have like a shed or a garden house, or you can even build a little greenhouse in your backyard and just experiment with um, collecting some rainwater off of that and then running that through a reverse osmosis system. So build a small little rainwater catcher. And there's there's loads of YouTube videos on how to do that. So um, so now, now you got the Jackery and, um, <clears throat> and the rainwater catcher. That's your basic getting started right there. Excellent. And we just had James Fry on our show and he was talking about how to grow and you know, all these different things. I found it really fascinating about this. And, you know, it's really, it's like, you don't really hear about it. And I want to uh, give a lot of credit to Jeff Berwick and to Anarchopolco, because when you go to Anarchopolco and you, you start learning more about this, at least going to the site, there's just so much information that's out there. It, it is an abundance of self-sufficient information. And you could see why, 
people don't want other people to know this because if you can do it for yourself, you don't need them. And then it's, I don't know, Chad, I found it really amazing. I found it amazing, like how you little you need other people. If how little you need, you need the collective state because if you have this information. So um, I'm very thankful that you're putting this information out. What are some of the other things that you can do in your perspective to live a more independent lifestyle or to become more self-sufficient, self-reliant. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's interesting you mentioned James Fry. I'm probably going to see him on a meeting this Sunday because he's speaking on my stage. I'm the manager of the stage for Sovereign Skills Day, and he's a uh, he's a he's a great guy, um, Earthship guy, just like I yeah. am. Um, and yeah, what can you begin to? I don't know if you have seen it, but uh, Vice News came to Anacapulco and they filmed me, and I thought it was—I I didn't mind. I thought it was cool, but yep. a lot of people did not like the way we were portrayed. I said, "Whatever, that's the media." I knew they were going to do it. I saw what they did. They—they—they they, they took every opportunity to you know, to present you guys in a negative way. And like that's it yeah, it was like you know it was it was like a cute little prank. Like I just laughed about it. I'm like, oh, that's adorable. They're having their fun. Um, like in, in my opinion, there's scarier stuff in the world than Vice News. Like the powers that be, if we start changing things, they're going to come after us. So Vice News is like this. It, it was I didn't I didn't care. But there, there's scarier stuff out there for me to worry about. Um, but in that in that interview, um. They actually did a nice job filming my workshop and um, I was showing them how to treat waste. Now, something you don't even think about subconsciously every day, you're throwing away your waste and you're relying on the states, right? So there's been parts of the world where there was like a sanitation strike or whatever, for whatever reason, the state was not hoeing the garbage. And then everyone says, oh, this is why we need the government because uh, who's going to handle the garbage? And the thing is like, when you throw something away, like you don't even think about it. If you do it in the right way, if you start a composting pit, so let's say, like, let's say um, you have your garbage. Some of it is food scraps. You can put that in a composter. You got better soil. Some of it you can just wash off and let it dry, and then you can jam pack it into a can, and you can build a little, um, you can build like a little small little garden wall, which you can later turn into a a planter cell. Um, so you can begin to treat your own wastewater, your, sorry, your own waste without the state. Um, some th the things that Earthship Biotexture taught me, how to make a can wall, how to do some basic composting. So you're always going to have some garbage and that's fine, but you can take like at least half of your garbage and now you're not relying on the states to take it away and so that they can just throw it in the, into the ocean or the landfills and pollute the environment. Now you're just a few basic things, right? You put your food scraps in the composter and you keep the stuff that could be repurposed for building over here. So um, I can teach you that in a workshop. I'm teaching that as uh, as, uh, as we go. Um, and even um, a gray water planter, you can look that up on YouTube, people all over the world. Your shower water, after it goes down the tube, it's called gray water, but your toilet is called black water. That's something different you can reroute your gray water through a, an outdoor closed garden, and then that treats the gray water and your growing plants. So now you're not relying on the state as much for municipal waste, which is okay, a big well, deal. I'm sorry, I want to pause you there for one second, because if you are using certain products out there for your hair, does that in way, shape, or form harm the, the plants? No, that's a, great, that's a great question. That's a very common thing. But the people who have been doing it for years, they will tell you that it does not 
because plant roots are filters. Plant roots take the stuff they want. So the, most of the soap that you use is gonna be fine. Um, we have a way of dealing with that. And also when you take a shower your dead skin cells and all the stuff that falls off your body, that's nutrition for plants. They love um, the stuff that, you know, plants and animals live in a, in a ecosystem together. So um, the plant plants actually love the used shower water. Excellent. You know, and uh, let's ask a little bit more about the mentality of being off grid or just being self-sufficient. I, I've come to, to this realization that, I don't know, I just, I feel like a lot of people just think the same, at least where I am in the U.S., they just, they have that collective mob mentality. And I don't, I don't, I find most people completely boring. As a matter of fact, you know, talking uh, to you and to talking uh, to other people who are, you know, really passionate about, you know, doing their own thing. I just, I, I find people like that, they're, they're very interesting and I don't understand what happened to society. Maybe people were more interesting years ago, but I find them so boring today. So what is the what is the type what are the types of personalities that tend to gravitate towards off-grid or being more self-sufficient? Is is this is this is this drive for freedom uh, something that, that based on a certain personality type, or is this drive for freedom something that just comes naturally inherent with individuals that maybe are just they haven't been so indoctrinated or on an energetic spiritual level, they're still connected or they realize where they came from. They never left that. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and to be quite honest, like I wouldn't say it's one type of person, like for example, some of the earthship people, they're more like lefty green permaculture people, mm-hmm. which they have a big part of the picture. I think some of them are still a little bit misled with some of their political beliefs, but they have a big piece of the picture. Um, and also, you, on the other hand, you get some right-wing prepper people. I kind of came to this more as like um, a prepper back in 2008. The economy was collapsing. And I was, That's what I was too. Because I, like, I, I, I was raised by, by my grandmother and she kind of warned me like, yeah, back in the Great Depression, you know, things, and that could still happen, things can get real. So, um I came in from more like a survivalist standpoint. Um, and I think it's um, it's like doing like a puzzle, right? I think a lot of people, like the right-wing survivalist people, they have like a piece of the puzzle and the permaculture people have another piece of the puzzle. I think uh, these different elements of society, people instinctively know something is wrong, but through their own biases or whatever, they, they can't quite put it all together. So I think, um, and that's how I know we're onto the right thing. Cause like when you're at Anarchapoco, you see some like more like left-wing hippie type of people. You see some right-wing people and some cryptocurrency capitalists, but we're all like fitting this puzzle together. And that's how I know, like every year it's more and more diverse. Like there's like women and families and European people, black people, white people. That's how I know. Cause in the beginning, back years ago, it was all like young 20 something white men. It like, like, and that's okay, but it was an echo chamber. And every year there's more people coming. So I think people instinctively know. And yeah, I, I agree with you. The general public, like just so goddamn boring. Like I don't like sports. I no longer like politics. Um, like you people are just talking about the most useless freaking crap on the And they're talking about TV shows all the time. The biggest conversation that people have, like, what are you watching TV? I don't, I find TV very boring. There's a show that I watch. I'd say that once in a while, it's called Married with Children. It was on years ago. I find it hilarious. I, and the humor is very intelligent. Al, Al Bundy, right? Al Bundy. 
Yeah, I, 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 I was born in 1987. I remember like okay. I was like a very young kid, like watching watching that show. I love that. <laughs> yeah, we well, say you're born in the 80s. That that wonderful era. And it's just I don't know what happened. It's weird. Hopefully, we'll move towards something greater. When you're talking uh, at the beginning of the show before our interview, I want to talk to the audience about Anarchopulco. But from your experience, can you please share a little bit more about the event, how it's changed, how it's evolved over the past nine years? And where people should move to? Um, do you think Mexico? I mean, apparently, you might say that you're in Mexico, and all the things you hear in the U.S. is how dangerous it is, is how there's mass shootings and how crazy it is. And I'm like, well, they're probably not also looking at the latest, you know, reports on a weekend in New York City or Chicago, which you might well be living in the whole country. But I said it's my family. They're in New Jersey. I'm like, you live near Philadelphia. Oh, my God. Mexico. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty bad. So what's um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, an archipelago, the event, how it's changed, how it's evolved in the last nine years, and also what life is like in Mexico from where you are? Yeah, um, I, I've always been a fan of Anarchopoco for several years. I only got involved in 2020. Um, yeah. I was explaining before the show, I used to be, uh, I used to have a tutoring business in Asia, and that was sort of my thing. And um, and to the, like, and I, I watched Anarchopoco from afar, like 2018, 2019, and I said, oh, someday I want to go get involved. And I bought a ticket in 2019, not knowing that the COVID madness was on its way in Asia, where I was. Um, and um, I arrived in Anarchapoco in 2020. So I'm sure a lot of you have seen the HBO series with all the drama. A lot of that happened before I arrived. I sort of watched all that interesting stuff from afar. And then in 2020, I arrived, I arrived in Mexico in March of 2020, right when COVID was beginning to close down the whole world. I had only planned on coming to Mexico for Anarchapoco. I had no long-term plans. Um, I was either going to go back to the U.S. to study earthships or go back to Asia. Uh, but while I was at Anarchapoco, as fate would have it, the whole world just closed. And I said, you know what? I know how Mexico is compared to the rest of the world. It's very like open and people don't take shit from the government here. So um, I, I, I just instinctively knew. I said, just, just lay low here in Mexico. And um, thank God I was here because it's you know, Acapulco, and even my family, like, oh, be careful in Acapulco, you should come back to the U.S., and, you know, with all this COVID stuff, I said, I'd rather die down here than be in a quarantine in New Jersey, um, so, um, yeah, Mexico, there is violence here, but just like you said, in the U.S., like, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, like, I feel safer in Mexico than, um, just, just as, as I would anywhere, um, in the U.S., and there's, there's just so many benefits. Like I had some health problems with my allergies and some stuff. And I went to the doctor now, normally in the U S like going to a doctor is like a nightmare. It's like, you got yep. like, the, the, the surprise fees and, and, and the big pharma, that a big pharma solution. What, what pills can we put you on? What injections can we give you? Yep. Um, 90% of my time, I try to take care of my health problems and I, I, I do take care of most of them, but like every once in a while, but I just went to the doctor here and got the medicine and um, it, I was like amazed by how cheap and inexpensive and it worked. And yeah, like in the U S it's like as many pills as they can here, they just gave me the bare minimum and they charged me the bare minimum and my health problems were, you know, just t- disappeared. Um, and l- like you said, I, I, I usually just stay away from pharmaceuticals, but, um, 
yeah, Mexico, the weather's beautiful. The cost of living, oh my God, my rent, you can get a, a nice apartment for like between two or $300 a month. So whereas New Jersey, it's like two or $3,000 a month. Yeah. So um, the the low cost of living is what's allowed me to do my other work. Because I, I, I normally wouldn't be able to afford doing earthship work or all the work that I've done with Anarchapoco or the charity work or developing my workshop. That would have taken too much time and money. But here in Mexico, with the low cost of living, I can do my teaching work for two or three hours a day and then dedicate the rest of my day to whatever stuff is not paying me right now. So uh, the cost of living, it's like you could, okay. if you're a lazy person, you can go into early retirement here in Mexico just by teaching some ABCs on the Internet. So oh, that sounds awesome. Well, let's play devil's advocate. What are some of the things that uh, people who like say who the predominantly in the U.S. in these incredibly, you know, high comfort levels of existence are? Are not going to like is there, is there good internet are there are there are there, um, are there good places to eat is there a, a certain quality of of life that that may not that may drop that they'll see in Mexico compared to the U.S. because I mean because people could be theoretically speaking uh, doing it we have a lot of people that are leaving the U.S. on a regular basis and just to remind you that if you leave the U.S. you still have to pay taxes until you fully seven to die. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter. They'll still find you um, from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Like, uh, so what are some of the other rules? I mean, uh, are there? Can you can you have a firearm in, in Mexico? I mean, uh, great questions. So, so thank you. Yeah. So, what are some of the the negative aspects of living in Mexico? Uh, in the U.S. Internet and in Acapulco. Some people have good internet, but I I always had really bad luck. I had two internet connections because one would fail when the other one wasn't. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet sucked in Acapulco. Luckily, this apartment that I'm renting here has good internet, which is why I'm staying here. But internet, you can get good internet, but it's a struggle. Um, okay. You have to try some. You have to do your research, and um, it's it's a it's a hustle. The, the internet, it's um, it's tough. It's, 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 it's a tough situation, but it, it can be done, and it's getting better every month and every year. Um, so. The internet's not good. And even you mentioned firearms. Even yesterday, I was doing some work with a friend of mine who's helped me build something. And we were talking about um, firearms. Um, um, I inherited some firearms in New Jersey and I still have them there. They're in a in a gun lock, sorry, in a gun safe at a friend's place where I trust it. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing I do miss. I used to like going to the shooting range and um, I'm not a super paranoid person. I'm not like, oh, I need to have my guns around me. But I do like them, and I'm a big, you know, self-defense um, advocate. And I miss uh, my .30-06 rifle, and I, I have an old family heirloom thirty-eight. Special. So would they allow you? Wait, so would they allow you to have guns in Mexico? You no, not farmers. No. Oh, uh, not Some farmers. People, like farmers, like there's people have them here, but it's it's like sort of hush hush. There's not much of a gun culture here, I would say. Jeez, um, that's the I had to say that'd be one thing that would be major uh, concern. But I know. Um, I know Jeff Berwick always talks about how wonderful Mexico is. I imagine, you know, it's great that we know a lot of positive things, but having a means to defend yourself, I, I, I think that's probably one of the, that, that could be a big thing for some people. It could be. And yeah. I do understand that. But me personally, uh, it's, it's, it's really not a big deal. Like I haven't had any big problems here in Mexico. So the trade-off, a lot of people, you know, people have different values. Like some mm-hmm. people, it's like, oh, the guns are important. And, but for me, it's been a trade-off. It's worth it. 
like I mentioned, the economic freedom, where I have the time to develop other important decentralization and off-grid projects. If I was in the U.S., I'd have to work too hard. Um, I'd be working around the clock to pay the bills. So the fact that I can't have something like, um, you know, any of the weapons for self-defense or just for fun for sporting or whatever reason you like to have guns, uh, to me, it's like, okay, I can't have the guns, but I, I will have the time and economic freedom to develop other stuff. So it's a, tra- it's a trade-off. So that's okay. a great. So yeah, I would say those are the two things. Also, um, the place where I'm staying now is well taken care of, but landlords in Mexico are not that responsible. So like, if your hot water heater is not working, you got to leak it on you. And even the handyman that you hire, uh, the, the repairman, it's like, They'll, sometimes they'll just do it very half-assed and so you got you got you got to find yourself a good repairman that you can trust because there are good ones here but it's yeah. that's another thing that's a bit of a struggle okay and chad i appreciate you allowing us to go off of you know, another side question this one but in the u.s one of the issues that i, I see happening a lot is this uh, political uh, polarization and people just hating each other because they have certain beliefs that they don't. Um, and it's just, I, I can't stand it. And I don't think that the U.S. is, I think the U.S. is just a bunch of different tribes and groups all kind of at war with each other. And I, I would love to just be among a culture that kind of like has the same similar values. Do you think that uh, where you are in Mexico or like the Mexican culture itself is kind of unified on their values? Or do you see Mexico kind of, the same way as the U.S. is where you have certain percentage of the population that are, okay, well, we need to, we're very like Marxist. And then you have other parts of the population that are less, less Marxist, which I think is happening in the U.S. Because the uh, the idea of living among people that are very like pro-freedom and wanting to leave other people alone, that is, you might, that's a, that's a blue lobster in the U.S. Finding someone that's like, hey, I, I don't want to, I don't want to infringe upon you. I'm like, you, you, do you exist? You think of my my imagination, but I'm wondering if that that's something that's common in Mexico. Yeah, um, people like I think a lot of Americans are naive with their trust of the government and the news here in Mexico. People are just a little bit smarter, a little more savvy, like because the Mexican government is just obviously corrupt. So there's there is some polarization, but people sort of um, live they're not in the same psychological prison that a lot of Americans are like, you know, oh, I'm a conservative Christian Republican or I'm a progressive Democrat or whatever. Um, here in Mexico, it's it's not as pronounced. It's not that bad. Um, and yeah, to be honest, like, sadly, that's how the human mind works. And that's how we've been controlled, not just in contemporary America, but all throughout human history. You've seen people just fighting over nothing. It's, it's divide and conquer. It's how the powers that be... Um, um, I can talk ad nauseum about um, the, how effective the divide and conquer is for the human psychology. So I can't even watch, like I've even started unsubscribing from like podcasts that I listen to because like even in the freedom community, they're still buying into this dialectic. Like they're complaining about wokeism, this or this and that. And I, I understand I don't like wokeism, but people are just like going back and forth with this petty culture war stuff, which is just, it's just this contrived idiotic stuff that gets people to argue with each other over nonsense. So um, I really hate the culture war. I hate listening to people argue over nonsense because I'm just like, guys, this is divide and conquer. It's how the powers that be. How they're keeping us. 
what the, yeah, th this was given to us, the, these petty little arguments. Um, we did not develop these arguments intrinsically. They were foisted upon us. And then the powers that be, okay, so they pick a side. Are you on the woke side or the right-wing side? And I'm like, I'm on nobody's side. Um, so, and it's it's been all throughout human history, you know, whatever, like Muslims and Jews, Catholics and Protestants, black and white, like it's this dialectic. And it's sadly, it's how the mind, the human mind is, it's part of our enslavement. It's okay. that we're, yeah. So. Well, it seems like, well, according to you, the Mexicans are, Mexico, the, like less enslaved and, uh, that's positive, but the, the, I mean, this is one of this. This could be one that would actually cause maybe a lot of people to, to really consider Mexico. How are they like when it comes to the in the U.S. They're, they're bringing kids to drag shows and they kind of they're, they're really overtly like trying to, to normalize pedophilia. Is that would that fly in Mexico or would that be completely just? I haven't seen any of that like at all. The only thing I've heard about that is in like the media in the U.S. And I'm sure right. it happens, but here in Mexico, and I'm you know I'm a teacher, and also in other countries, I haven't seen that. It's only I've I've only seen that on the in the media in the U.S. So um, yeah, no, you have no idea the train wreck that you're missing here. No, that's <laughs> but on a positive note, I do want to say something really positive with the U.S. You know, as of for right now, the lights are on. You could still get food. Um, people are, are somewhat cordial, but who knows what's going to happen if there's an economic uh, you know tidal wave or something happens. But uh, Chad Schwartz, want to thank you for being with us. And Chad will be a prominent speaker at Anarcopalco. And we'll send a link to that. Chad, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Yay! Take care and thank you so much for listening.